All right. Welcome to Elevate Youth. Before we start anything else, I'm sure you guys just saw now, Rise Night, September 8th, Wednesday night. This is going to be, like I said, it's a normal Elevate service, but it's not. It's got extra things. It's an extended night. Instead of 6 to 8, it's 5.30 to 8.30. We're going to have, like I said, a 70-foot obstacle course. We're going to have free pizza, Polaroid photo booth. It's going to be an amazing time. All the information is on, are on these invites. You guys can grab a stack of them at the Welcome Center over there. All right, before we start this message, it's kind of become a thing now. All right, if you got your own open can of pop on three. One, two. Oh, mine fizzed over a little bit. That's kind of gross. Okay, good job, guys. I got Mountain Dew today after I was heckled last week about LaCroix. Was it you? Yeah, you, you heckled me. Oh, it was you? Okay. Somebody heckled me last week. Oh, yeah, you weren't here last week. Sorry. Somebody heckled me last week because I drank LaCroix, even though it's really good. Yeah, that was you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Who had a chance to read James chapter 1 over the week? Raise your hand. Yeah, let's give yourself a round of applause, guys. You guys did amazing. James chapter 1. Yeah, that was a weak applause, but that's okay. That's fine. All right, so if you don't know, we're in the series James, and we just, we're starting it right now tonight. So we're going week by week, chapter by chapter. So there are five chapters in James, so this series is going to be five weeks long. And the series will actually end on September 1st, the week before Rise Night. So it was actually accidental, believe it or not. It was, it's pretty cool. So it's kind of cool. Sometimes God lines things up like that. So, all right, it's important. It's important to read the Bible and know your stuff. And that's why we're going through this series. Um, I remember one time, me and my cousin, we decided to read the entire Bible. And I can't remember the time frame, but I believe it was less than a year. And it might have even been three months three or six months, the entire Bible, in three to six months. And how many of you guys know we're talking like, I think, four to seven chapters a day? I do not recommend that at all. That was not fun. Because guess what? If you missed a day, if you missed two days, you had to read like 16 chapters in a day just to get caught up. And then you had to get back into your cycle of like five chapters a day. It is not recommended. It was cool. And now I can say that I have read right? I've read the entire Bible before, but how many of you guys know I'm probably not retaining any of that information? You know, if you're reading four to six chapters a day, you're not exactly reading it sentence by sentence, verse by verse, and retaining any sort of knowledge. At least I am. If you can, like, props to you, because that's incredible, but at least personally for me, that is not the best way that I read the Bible. In Psalms 1, 1 through 3, says that, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. That, that's good, I guess. Yeah. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted by the river, bearing fruit in every season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in everything we do. So it is saying we are supposed to, the verse is telling us to do two things. It says take delight in the law of the Lord, which is the Bible, and then meditate on, meditate on it, day and night. I cannot, you know, the word meditate just means to just think about and apply it to your life and just mull over it throughout your day. And I can tell you this, for me personally, if you can, that's great, but I cannot meditate on seven chapters of the Bible every day. 
I am not, re- I'm not like thinking about it. I'm not mulling it over. I'm not thinking of how that applies to my life. And again, if you can, that's great. But for me, I cannot. You know, I've used this illustration before. And in school, I was the kid that never studied but always got A's. Is anybody else like that? Is it just me? Okay, there's a few people in here. Okay, it's not recommended, but it worked for me. I never studied, but I always got A's. And I say always lightly, but I always got A's. And I'm sure that annoyed the crap out of the kids around me because there's some kids are out there like studying as hard as they can, and they're getting A's too, or maybe they're not, and then they're looking over at me, and I'm just playing video games all day, and I'm just acing it anyways. You know, the reason I got good grades is because I at least had a really good short-term memory, right? I had a really good short-term memory. So I could just cram a whole bunch of knowledge and information all at once, retain it just long enough to regurgitate that onto a test, and then just dump it out for my next test. That is how my brain works sometimes. I can cram a lot of knowledge last minute, pour it out, and move on. (laughs) But how many of you guys know I was not retaining any of that knowledge, right? You know, I, I am so thankful for God every single day that he created autocorrect for people like me. Like, does anybody else rely on autocorrect heavily? Oh, my gosh, is it just me? Me and Jonathan and just a couple other people. I, I see your hand. I said a couple other people. I'm so thankful God created autocorrect because I cannot spell. Okay, so when me and my wife were dating, we were long distance for a lot of it. And you guys, some of you guys might think this is cute or whatever. I don't know. But we were dating, and we would send each other letters, you know, send each other letters, yeah. Some of you guys are, like, taking notes over there, like, okay, letter, letters, letters, okay. We'd send each other letters. And I don't think I've told Caitlin this, but almost every other word I had to Google just to make sure I was spelling right. <laughs> I was like, Caitlin, you are gorgeous. Gorgeous, gorgeous, G-O-R-G, okay, let's just Google this. I can't spell. So I'm so thankful God created autocorrect for sinners like me. I mean, like, I need it. I rely on it. I need it. But you can't, you can't cram the Bible. You know, the Bible is not a textbook, right? Bible's not a school book. The Bible, and that's, the reason is because of this, the Bible is not about knowledge. The Bible is not about knowledge. It's not about memory. It's not about facts, even though it has facts. It's not a history book, even though it has history. It's not a book of stories, even though it has stories in it. But the Bible is much more than that. And the key is this, the Bible is a love letter from God to his children. The Bible is a love letter from God to his children. And once you begin to understand that more and more, you'll begin to see the Bible in a slightly different perspective. The more you begin to realize that the commands and rules listed in the Bible aren't just to keep you from doing things, but they're to keep you from hurting yourself or other people, and they're there because he loves you. You know, it's like a parent saying, like, hey, don't touch that stove because it's hot. It'll burn you. It'll hurt you. It's, it's like that. They are trying to keep, they're not trying to keep you from having fun or restricting you. They're trying to keep you from hurting yourself. But I believe it's even deeper than that. Once you begin to look at the rule, look past the rules and begin to look at it like it's a love letter and not just a rule book or a history book or a fact book, then the, the more and more you'll begin to see that it is a love letter to you from God. 
You see, the Bible is much more than the history book. And that's why I believe it's important that we don't just try to cram it or we don't just try to read it just because we're supposed to or any of that. But we begin to read it and we begin to meditate on it. And again, that word meditate just means to think about throughout your day. And that's why we're going through James in this series. We're taking it slow, taking it chapter by chapter. We're going to be dissecting it. And that's why I believe it's important that we do this. And before we get into James, I want to take a second and pray. So if you guys would pray with me. Father, I just thank you for writing this love letter to us. And I pray that we will begin to see that more and more each day. That I pray that each verse that we read from now on, we'll begin to see your perspective and have your eyes on that. God, just guide us through tonight in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, so going to give you guys a couple quick, you know, fun facts about the book of James. In Hebrew, James is actually directly translates to Jacob. I don't know if you guys knew that. James translates to Jacob, and in the Hebrew and the Greek, his name is actually Jacob. So some of your translations might actually say Jacob. Just a fun fact about that. And I don't know if you guys are going to believe this, but James was most likely written by a guy named James. He was written by James. I know it's a shocker. Shocker. There are many Jameses in the Bible, but this James is specifically the brother of Jesus, the half-brother, I guess. And the main purpose that James wrote, he wrote to Pharisees and people on the outside, he wrote it to challenge them to to take their faith deeper and to to make their faith practical. So tonight we're going over James 1, and just like any book, chapter 1 is the introduction and the starter to the book. It sets the stage of how we need to view the rest of the book and even the Bible. So we're going to start in James chapter, or James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed... You will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You know, when I was studying James for this message, I was reading that and I was like, what does it mean to be perfect? When I'm reading James, you know, that verse specifically says, when my endurance is fully developed, I will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know, does this mean once, if I just get enough endurance, then I will be sinless? Does this mean... You know, will I, will I look perfect too? Will I do perfect things? Like, like if Jonah had enough endurance, would, would he be perfect at all his video game Sonic levels? Like, I, I don't know. Like, what does this mean? I, it could mean that. I don't know what this means. So I watched this Bible Project video that I'm not going to show tonight because it's 10 minutes long and we do not have time for that. But I watched this Bible Project video about it. And he was saying that the word perfect better translates to wholeness, integrated, or unfractured. Wholeness integrated or unfractured. Because the Bible is talking about taking our fractured and our divided lives and making us whole and integrated or perfect. You know, we're we're fractured and divided in many ways. Jesus talks about or James talks about how in one breath we will praise God, but in the next breath we'll curse our brother, right? You know, the Bible says we can't serve God and money because we'll have division, which is just division, two visions. You know, we are torn in many different ways. And the Bible is all about taking our broken pieces and making us consistent and integrated. And the book of James specifically challenges us to do that. 
So tonight we're studying James 1, which is the introduction to James. And tonight, this is the introduction to our series. So the first four verses of James, which we just read, actually set up the main topic of tonight. And I believe it leaves us with this question. How can we be made perfect? How can we be made whole, integrated, unfractured? You know, it's a, James chapter 1 actually answers this in the next three sections. And so the rest of it is divided in three sections. Um, before I get into it, the, the next three points I have are going to be talking about how we can be made perfect or whole or integrated. But I believe these are also things that we can use, the tools we can use to read the Bible. So for point number one, I'm going to read James 1 verse 5. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. And he will not rebuke you for asking. So point number one, ask God. So remember, this doesn't mean, or remember, this is for how we can be made perfect and integrated and whole. But we can also use this when we're understanding scripture. So it says if you don't know the answer, you need to ask God. If you don't understand a passage of scripture, you need to ask God. If you're stuck in sin, ask God who to talk to or what to do next. If your car broke down and your phone died, you can ask God. If you're feeling lonely, you can ask God. That doesn't mean we're necessarily going to get the answer that we want, but we are called, we're told to ask God if we need wisdom. And we don't just ask God because we're told to, but we, we ask God because he has insight and perspective that we don't necessarily have. You know, we, try, we see our lives through the lens of our own perspective and our own worldview. And it's crazy when you see from someone else's perspective, you can see things just a little bit differently. You can see things just a little bit differently once you change your perspective, just like this image right here. Let's put up the first one. Yeah. Oh, man, you actually can't really tell very much, but these are actually, these are the same size Sharpies, but because this perspective is different, they look bigger. Let's put up the next one. Okay, those people are about the same size. I know, it's crazy. I don't even know. I don't even know what's going on here. Let's put up the next one. Yeah, that one. Like when you change your perspective and you get down on this level, you can definitely, you see the world differently. And so when we are asking questions to God, we're not just asking God for his advice or his insight. We're asking God for his perspective because he sees the world differently sometimes than we do. And God's perspective isn't just a good perspective, but it is a holy perspective. It is a set-apart perspective. It is the correct perspective that we need to have. And so there are, there are plenty of ways you can get God's perspective. If you don't know how to handle a situation or you don't know how to treat a person, you don't know how to do something, you can ask God for his perspective or his wisdom or his guidance. So if you are asking God whether or not you need to, like, here, for example, if sometimes we ask God a question that he's already answered in the Bible. You know, if we're asking God if we need to forgive our parent that's hurt us, oftentimes he might not answer it because he's already answered that in the Bible, that we need to forgive people that have hurt us. And so the first step, I believe, to becoming whole and integrated to achieve God's perspective is by asking God. But how many of you guys know that it is quite literally foolish to get God's perspective and read the Bible but not do anything about it? You know, I heard a sermon a while ago that the title was, Now That You Know, What Will You Do? Now that you know this fact, what are you going to do about it? And that leads us to the second question. The second thing is respond to Scripture. 
So in James 1, 19, it says, Understand this, my brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of that filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you, don't, if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Now, I'm going to admit something. This passage always weirds me out just a little bit because I don't always equate to reading the Bible with looking into a mirror. Right? And that, that doesn't usually cross my mind. If I were to write the Bible and write that passage of Scripture, I don't think I would have written that analogy in there. But what this is saying is that you're reading Scripture and then not applying it. It's saying as if it was the same thing, you were to look at yourself in the mirror and then forget what your face looks like. And I believe this is going back to what I said about cramming for school or cramming the Bible, that I was cramming all this knowledge, but when I got to the test or got past the test, I just forgot completely what it looked like. And Psalms 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so we are supposed to just store up the word and not just glance at it and move on and forget what it looks like. You know, when I read the Bible in a year, I was, it was like I was looking at myself in the mirror and then forgetting what I looked like. And I believe that the amount of Bible you need to read each day is determined by the amount you'll be able to meditate on and remember that day. You don't need to have the pressure on yourself that I have to read two chapters a day. I have to read two chapters a day because that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what my mom says I'm supposed to do. Or that's what my pastor says to do. If you're reading two chapters a day and you're not retaining any of it, then you might as well not be reading it at all. Maybe some of you guys, maybe two chapters a day isn't enough. To meditate on. Maybe you need four chapters. Maybe you need an entire book. Whatever it is, you need to get to the level that you're able to memorize or remember or at least meditate on that day. Maybe it's three verses a day. Maybe it's one verse a day. Whatever it is, you need to start somewhere because you need to be able to meditate on it and apply it to your life efficiently or else you might as well just not be reading at all. Because I'll tell you guys, I've been in a place where I've read, I've forced myself to read two chapters a day. And I will tell you, I'm not retaining any of it because that's too much for me to handle. And that is too much for me. So wherever you're at, you need to be reading the Bible every day. I do believe that. I do believe you need to be reading the Bible every day. But you need to be able to read it and to meditate on it. Because it is the sustenance for our spiritual well-being. You know, Jesus says that he is the bread of life in the Bible is the bread of life that we need. You know, I think I heard a quote that it's like too many Christians out here are malnourished, that their spiritual body is malnourished. And I thought that was so powerful. That if we're being honest with ourselves, we might not be nourishing our spirit as much as we're nourishing our bodies. And again, maybe you're eating too much. Maybe you're not retaining any of it. Maybe it's three verses a day. Whatever it is, I just want to challenge you guys to be reading the Bible and retaining it and then applying it and responding to it and doing something. All right, last thing. Number three, concern yourself with others. You need to be concerning yourself with others. James 1, 26 through 27 says, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. 
Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You know, we need to get to the point where we're beyond reading scripture just for ourselves, but we're getting involved in reading it for other people. You know, Pastor Sean this week in service said that he was telling us a quick story about how there was a missionary on a mission, and every time he preached, all the people in the audience who just had their heads down the entire time he was preaching. And later he found out that they were all scrambling to take notes so they could bring it back to their friends and to their coworkers and to the other people and to their churches so they could take the message with them. Because they got it. They got that I'm not here just for me. I'm not here just to fill myself up. But I'm here to be other people. I remember my job as a pastor, as a preacher, as somebody that is called to equip you guys is I'm not supposed to be, I'm not supposed to create your relationship with God for you. I'm, what I'm supposed to do is I'm here to equip and empower you to do the work of God. You can't rely on me to do the work of God in your school. You can't rely on me or Aaron or Kelsey to do the work of God in your home or any of that, or even in your own life. I'm just here to equip you and give you guys tools and empower you in different ways. So we need to get the idea that it's not just about us. I heard this cool illustration a while back. It was about a guy saying that there are two different ways that a formation of ships can sabotage each other. The first way is intentionally or accidentally just ramming into each other with the steering wheel, right? Like obviously, like if a formation of boats is on the water and one of the captains steers the wheel against the other boat, it'll hurt the boats. And he said, but the second way is if one ship neglects its machinery and neglects its upkeep and doesn't take care of it, and something in it breaks because of the neglectance, and it begins to veer. It begins to run into the other boats. So the first way is intentionally or accidentally pushing the steering wheel, and the second way is neglectance of your own ship where you begin to hit the other boats. If your machinery breaks down, your ship begins to swerve at directions you didn't intend it to because you're breaking down. You know, we're striving to become whole and complete and spiritual with God and have a relationship, not just for our sake, but for the people around you. That you need to be spiritually healthy and spiritually able to help those around you because you don't know who is dependent on you. There's a quote by John MacArthur that says, you are the only Bible some unbelievers will ever read. You are the only Bible some unbelievers will ever read. You may be the only source of Jesus someone will ever see. If that's your friends, if that's your coworkers, your parents, your siblings, you may be the only source of Jesus they will ever see. And that's not to put pressure on you, but that's to empower you to live life at its fullest. And a clear distinction I want to make here is to say that God is not looking for perfection. I know we've been like, Sean, like, we've been talking about getting perfect and achieving perfection. But God's not looking for perfection. How can this be? And Paul addresses this in Philippians 3, 8 through 11. And I don't have this on screen, so just listen to my voice. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up now. In Philippians 3, it says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so I could gain Christ and become one with him. And listen to this. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, 
Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience his mighty power that raised him from the dead. And in Philippians 3.12, he brings it all to this. It says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. So what are these things? These things are, I, I'm not, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved righteousness or perfection, but I press on to, pres- to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for God. What he's saying there, I know there was a lot of words all at once, but what he's saying there is he's saying, I'm not reliant on my own perfection for righteousness, but God in Christ has given me righteousness for him. Another quote by Richard Baxter says, this life was not intended to be the place of our perfection, but the preparation for it. We're not meant to be perfect here, but we're meant to be prepared for our perfection. Our goal is not to achieve perfection, but is to pursue relationship. And we use these things to pursue a greater relationship with God. So if you would all stand up with me as we wrap up here. My prayer tonight is that Holy Spirit is stirring something in your hearts that will respond to this. So Holy Spirit, I just thank you for this word, God. And I just pray that you just draw everyone that you're stirring to us tonight. God, do a work in us that only you can do. Jesus, I just thank you for this work. And I pray that we begin to see the Bible as your love letter to us and not just a history book or a book of rules. But God, we begin to see that as your expression of your love.